0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson, and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Raptors and the Golden State Warriors continue in the NBA Finals. Shove or no shove, who's going to win? The Ford government has announced the expansion of alcohol sales in Ontario, but the beer store is threatening to sue. Where are we going? And a former prime minister has recommended another prime minister of a different stripe to head to China and try to mend some fences. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Moments from now, uh, we're going to be talking to Alan Carter, Global global News anchor, who is down in Oakland. Get his perspective of uh, what is shaping up uh, tonight. Game 3 Raptors series against Golden State Warriors. What are their chances? Uh, injuries, that sort of thing. Let's bring in Oren Weisfeld, freelance journalist in Toronto. Currently writes for Raptors Republic, as well as his own blog, OrenWeisfeld.com, where he focuses on... Uh, in- uh, it uh, focuses uh, between sports and politics. Wow. Wow. How do you do that? Sports and politics, Orrin, Man, you're walking a fine line there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, but uh, it's the 21st century, no?
0: Hey, yeah, good for you. That's right. All right. So, uh, first of all, your thoughts on what happened in regard to the shove. Uh, we all saw that uh, uh, w- w- with Kyle Lowry the other day and, and, and what happened and how, uh, um, I guess, the, lead re- the, the league has finally reacted. $500,000 fine, banned for a year, minority owner. Your thoughts on all of this?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the NBA, uh, in my opinion, reacted pretty quickly and pretty sternly. Boy, did and they. Especially if you compare it to leagues like the NHL or the NFL, uh, the NBA is way ahead of them in terms of what they're going to accept and what they're not going to accept. They've drawn a fine line. It's pretty clear. And yeah, I mean, I saw the shove not in real time. I didn't see it, but then I saw the replays and I mean, I I don't you you, you don't really see the point in that. It's obviously just an angry guy who doesn't like whatever's going on. I don't know. Yeah. There could be a lot behind it, but it just seems stupid and I think I think it's a good punishment. Uh he definitely shouldn't be there for the rest of the finals. A year and a $500,000 fine seems fair. A lot of people around the league are calling for a lifetime ban, which, I mean, I do understand, but at the same time, Adam Silver, the commissioner, basically said, this guy doesn't have a history of anything. He was really apologetic, and I kind of understand that. People do make mistakes. Yeah. Uh,
0: what are your thoughts, though, when you found out it was a minority owner as as opposed to, like, a drunken fan?
1: Yeah, I mean i don 't i, I can 't say i 'm super surprised uh, just because these guys are owners' doesn't really doesn 't mean they really have a, a good idea of what 's going on around the league hmm. uh, but it doesn 't really matter owner or fan either way if you 're sitting that close, you know the rules you know what 's allowed and what 's not allowed so to me it shouldn 't matter if it 's owner or fan it 's just what 's acceptable and what 's not on a human level more than anything.
0: Uh, you talked about the NBA and how it reacted, and again, I was very surprised how quickly it did and, and, and the, the steep penalty, uh, especially for someone who's involved in the team. Um, mm-hmm. Why is the NBA so ahead of the curve on this, and are other leagues, whether it's, you know, it's the NHL, the NFL, whatever, are, are they learning anything here?
1: That's a good question. Um, in response to your first question, I think Adam Silver is a really progressive owner, uh, he showed that pretty early on when he when uh, the Sterling comments came out, and he gave uh, Sterling a lifetime ban, the old Clippers owner, for right, making this right. comments. So he's a progressive uh, commissioner, and I think it starts at the top with the NBA. It starts with him. He's drawn a fine line, and and another part of it is just that the NBA has some of the most famous personalities in the world, and like you see a guy like LeBron James post on Instagram after what happened to yeah. Lowry. And he posted basically that's not acceptable. Something has to be done quickly, and and these guys like LeBron have so much sway, not just in the NBA but in the world. So I think that's one reason the NBA is a little bit ahead of the curve. In terms of other leagues following up, uh, it'll be interesting to see because this is a this is a Canadian example. Uh, so the NHL has to be watching closely, I think. But at the same time, the NHL has absolutely no history of reacting sternly or well on on this type of behavior, so I don't see it changing unless there's a new commissioner in place.
0: No, but I mean, you remember all the stink around the kneel and all that in the NFL. You wonder if they were presented or another league was presented with this sort of situation, you, you know, and obviously basketball is a totally different sport in the sense that, you know, you have, the, you have the luxury of being able to sit right next to all the action. But I mean, if there was something similar, you have to wonder if they'd react the same way or as quickly as you said.
1: Yeah, the NFL, I wouldn't see it happening. I mean, the NFL has kind of proven itself as a league that sticks by the owners rather than the players, whereas the NBA has taken the opposite stance as we're going to be for the players. And the thing is, it's working. If you look at the NBA's revenue, if you look at the the views, if you look at just how well that league is doing, their their approach to it, which is players first, is working. So I think eventually the other leagues are going to catch up and realize what they're doing.
0: It's, uh, it's fascinating how it all came down and how uh, something that c- people could have been talking about for a very long time has been put to bed quite quickly.
1: Yeah, and that's another, that's another good thing about dealing with it so quickly because at the end of the day, right now, the Raptors are in the finals for the first time in history, and, and that's what we want to be talking about. That's what the league should be talking about is is the actual basketball being played. That's one of the problems that, I mean, every league has right now is that it's way too often focused on trades and personalities and all these things instead of the actual sport being played. So I think it's good that they dealt with it so quickly so we can hopefully soon forget about it and just focus on the basketball.
0: Do Americans care that there's a Canadian team uh, in the finals? Is this like other sports where you know you want the New Yorks and the L.A.s or the whoever, you want the the big cities playing each other? What does this do to the fact that, that, that it is a Canadian team in the finals? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I think it's a tricky question because a lot of Americans are rooting for the Raptors but that's only because they don't want the Warriors to win. Yeah. So I think if another American team was in the finals, like the Bucs or the 76ers instead, uh, then they, they would definitely have more support uh, in America. They don't really like to see us win traditionally, but there's nothing they can do right now.
0: All right. So, your thoughts on the last game? Uh, obviously, Warriors battered up. Stephen Curry, despite despite you know uh, an incredible effort and and forty seven points, they come up short. Uh, what are we expecting tonight? Is, is how long will injuries plague this team?
1: Yeah. Well, it looks like Klay uh, Thompson is going to be playing tonight. Kevin Durant still out, which uh, if you are a Warriors fan, has to worry worry you because. Uh, That means the earliest he can return is Game 5, and it doesn't look like he's practiced yet. So if you're expecting Kevin Durant to come into this series anytime soon and start guarding Kawhi Leonard, which is obviously their hope, uh, it's getting a little bit late for that. But look, the Warriors, especially when Clay Thompson is back, they still have four All-Stars on the court. They're still a really good team. Uh, The Raptors did their job last game. They knew they had to win, and Game 4 is a huge game. They're going to have to play much better than they have throughout the series because they've been inconsistent. They've been shooting the ball well, but defensively they haven't been close to as good as they can be. So the Raptors are going to have to be better tonight
0: uh we all remember uh in in game two when uh you know it looked pretty good uh, by the time the half was there uh, raptors leading and then uh came back in the third and and the warriors just went on a tear how do they stop that from happening
1: yeah i mean uh jalen rose one of the commentators in america one of the american media he says there's 31 teams in the league the 31st is the warriors in the third quarter because that's just what they do man they They just come out of the gate uh, firing, and it's usually led by Steph Curry and Draymond Green. And It's impossible to stop, but what the Raptors have to do is exactly what they did in games one and three, which is basically just go bucket for bucket with the Warriors. Every time the Warriors have tried to cut that lead down, they've came up with a really timely bucket, either by Leonard or Lowry, usually. And that's what the Raptors have to do. A, they do have to play better defensively, but inevitably the Warriors are going to knock down shots and the Raptors just stay calm, stay focused, and go back on the other end.
0: Oren Weisfeld has been with us, freelance journalist in Toronto, currently writes for Raptors Republic, and has his own blog, orenwestfield.com. Oren, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Have fun tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Alan Carter, Global News Anchor, Game 4, Toronto Raptors, Golden State Warriors in Oakland tonight. Alan, thank you for, the take, uh, for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Tell us what's going on behind the scenes. What's happening today?
2: Uh, well, we're actually on our way to Oracle right now. We, are, we have just left downtown Oakland where I just finished an interview with the mayor of Oakland who has wagered a number of things with Toronto Mayor John Tory, uh, all based on who wins this. And one of the things that Toronto has put on the line is a female bacon sandwich from St. Lawrence Market. Now, if you know anything (laughs) about Toronto, that is our signature sandwich. That is the sandwich of the city.
0: That's a nice one. And
2: Mayor Libby Schaaf uh, earlier this week erroneously referred to it in American media as simply a bacon sandwich. And there has been
0: such blowback (laughs) at this. Well, what's he got? What's he putting up? When she says that now she's been... Or she, I'm sorry. The
2: ...intricacies of uh, pea meal and back bacon. And she's putting up coffee, beer, and a warrior's hoodie. Why would we ever wear that? I don't know, but that's what she's wagering.
0: Well, all of that will go well with the bacon sandwich.
2: Well, would yes. I think I told her that, you know, she could wear the hoodie when she comes to Toronto to visit, to have a female sandwich when we, you know, when we have the parade.
0: <laughs> yeah. So how does how does the mayor of Oakland feel about the team moving?
2: It's I asked her a lot about that She's you know, she's kind of a typical politician. Uh, she talked a lot about how the team is not actually leaving Oakland, even though they will play. In San Francisco at the beginning of next season, when they move to the Chase Center across the bay, they're leaving a youth training facility here. They are leaving some things here. The Warriors will still have a footprint in Oakland. Hmm. So she really kind of dodged that, but then talked about it as a fan, as you know, as an Oakland native, that it hurts her heart because this is her team, um, and it won't be play- they won't be playing in her city anymore.
0: I guess that's understandable. What, what, anything to replace this? What happens to what happens to the barn? I mean, what happened? What does this do to the to the finances of Oakland?
2: Well, that's a great question, and I I put that to her. I said, well, you know, what does that do for the economy? Considering all the people that come here for the games, and I like, you know, again, she sort of dodged that and said, well, there's a real renaissance here in Oakland, and there's a lot of other things going on, and it is, it is true. Like if you look. Um, Oakland itself has sort of started to creep up on tourism destination websites as, you know, a, you know, kind of an off-the-grid sort of place to go. I mean, most people they'll come to San Francisco,
0: yeah, see all
2: the sites in San Francisco. Rarely do people come to downtown Oakland. And I can tell you, after a number of days in the industrial wasteland around Oracle, I was absolutely pleasantly surprised and uh, really enjoyed my time in downtown Oakland, which is a beautiful area.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, what else can a mayor say when uh, their city is having the ultimate celebration followed by the ultimate loss, I guess, when you think about it? Uh, at the end of the day, any chatter in regard to what happened in the, uh, the shove of Lowry in the stands the other night and, and the fact that uh, instead of this being a drunken fan, this was an owner of the team?
2: Yeah, well, how's about that fine? Half a million dollars, $500,000 fine. And kudo to but the
0: that's... NBA for for, st- for stepping up so quickly and, and making such a statement.
2: Yeah, and had they had to do it quickly. And, I mean, they did it even before 24 hours had elapsed. So, And he's also banned from all NBA games, including all Warriors events, for a year. Now, keep in mind that this guy is a partial owner of the team.
0: Mm-hmm. He will
2: not be at the opening ceremonies in the New Chase Center when the team moved there uh, next fall.
0: Yeah, think He will of
2: that. not be able to attend. Wow. And also keep this in mind. $500,000, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Except for Forbes estimates Mr. Stevens' net worth to be $2.3
0: Yeah, yeah, he's a billionaire.
2: So not that much of a hit.
0: But, you know, as you said, uh, financially the hit, not that bad. But, uh, you know, considering where he is and his stature within this team and not to be there when that new facility opens, man, he's going to remember why for the rest of his life.
2: Well, he put out a very contrite statement yesterday in which he issued an apology to just about everybody. And if you've read it, it's interesting. I'm seeing it retweeted now by communications professionals who say, this is how you apologize. Like, there's no, I'm sorry if I offended. It's, I am sorry. This is, I, yeah. I, have, I have no excuses. Like, he has just absolutely, you know, come out and said, yep. I'm sorry. And I've apologized to everybody who will take my call.
0: Good for him. Uh, let's move on. Talk about the game. Buzz around the game. Uh, obviously, injuries were was the chatter after the last game, and and, and despite you know forty seven points from Steph Curry, I mean uh, the Warriors came up short. What do the Raptors have to do to to bring this home?
2: Well, you got Clay Thompson coming back tonight, so now you got the Splash Brothers back in. So it is a different team with those two guys firing because both of them can drain free ball, and like you say, forty seven points for Steph. Well, Steph can easily score 40-plus a game, and then you add another 25 from Clay, and they can run away with it. We've seen them do it before. So what the Raptors need to do is they need to just completely lock down on D and make sure that, that Clay Thompson doesn't get open looks because open looks for that guy is a made free almost every time.
0: As you've sat and watched this all unfold, what are you going to take with you as you leave? You come back here. What do you What do you take away from this whole experience of, of watching this?
2: That's a great question. Uh, it has just been a, a real joy to be here. Obviously, I'm I, I'm a huge Raptors fan, and the fact that I, you know, they chose me to come and do this, I'm still kind of I can't believe it. I'm just absolutely beside myself. I think I will. There's a couple things that that I'll. I'll really take away. I've never seen the Raptors uh, fan base like this in, here in Oakland. I mean, the number mm. of Raptors fans that were at Game 3, that were wearing the colors in Oracle, singing the national anthem. I heard at one point chants of let's go Raptors from the concourse even pre-game. That's how many Raptors fans there were there. Yeah. And I think that is something that I'll take with me just how just how strong of a fan base the Raptors have.
0: Alan Carter has been with us. Uh, Global News, make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6. Alan Carter, Global News anchor, who is down in Oakland. Great job, Alan. Thanks so much for the time. Love the passion, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Take care. All right, bye now. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, Stephen Lachey is with us, parliamentary assistant and MPP, King Vaughn, and is on the line with us now. Stephen, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, You know, I'm old enough to remember that this has even been an election issue in the past where a lot of people have wanted for the modernization of Ontario's archaic liquor laws for years. And, you know, there's probably some support for what you're doing. Uh, A lot of people are concerned, though, that you're breaking a deal. What do you you want Ontarians to know when they're concerned that this is going to cost them because you're breaking a contract?
3: Well, my message to them is clear. We campaign on a clear commitment that we were going to bring act- bring liberalize access to alcohol in the province of Ontario. We treat Ontarians like law-abiding Canadians as they are in every province and virtually every state on the continent that has access to more convenience and fairness. You're right, it is a sweetheart deal. The former government signed a 10-year deal that gives the three owners of the beer store, not taxpayers, not the government, but the big three multinational beer companies, uh literal the vast majority of control of the profits and of the company and we think that's not fair we believe putting um, giving back that opportunity to small craft breweries for expanding choice and also giving more fairness and more competition in the sector that is monopolized by literally not even a handful of companies is in the public interest is in the economic interest and ultimately to lower prices now with respect to the concerns on on that I mean, the minister has been very clear that we feel very confident that that will not result in cause. We know that this deal is not in the public interest. We know that it is a sweetheart deal. Nothing could be great. The reason why these companies are so committed to fighting us is because they have a lot to lose and the public has a lot to gain. And so we want to liberalize access because for us it's about convenience. But for me as a conservative, it's also about competition. I want more competition in the marketplace. It will lead. Historically, to lower prices, and it also helps create thousands of jobs. The Retail Council of Canada, Scott, said not me, not the Minister of Finance, not some politician, not the NDP saying the opposite, just the Retail Council of Canada, independent, nonpartisan, said it's going to create 9,000 net new jobs, which is a good news story given that we created another 20,000 net new jobs today in Ontario. We lead the nation in job growth.
0: Stephen, I'm all in. I'm all in. I, you know, I, I don't think there's too many Ontarians. I don't want to speak for everybody that that, that, that can't see uh, the good in what you're saying. That being said, there's a deal that's signed to 2026. There's been uh, publications saying that, you know, this could cost us a billion dollars. What about breaking a contract, breaking a deal? Well, Are, look, I mean, it's very, no It's very problem. simple. It's very simple, Stephen. Are we going to get sued here? Is this worth getting sued over?
3: No, I think international companies understand the parliamentary system of this country. They know that a new government need not continue legislation from a previous government or continue with bad deals. So in the report that was put out by the special advisor, that's the gentleman, Ken Hughes, he's the guy that we delegated this, uh, this responsibility to come up with a plan. He said the agreement with the beer store is, and I'm quoting, a bad deal for Ontario that stifled competition, kept prices artificially high, and prevented new craft beer entrepreneurs from getting a strong foothold in the market. It also limits choice, end quote. So with respect, Scott, when I know, independently verified, that this deal benefited three multinationals, not to the interests of consumers, let alone of, of people who seek jobs in the province, I think, knowing our system, And knowing that we're going to stand up for the province's economy every step of the way, this is consistent with what the premier said he was going to do. We campaigned on this. We have a mandate to do it. And and I'm prepared to fight and do whatever it takes to create private sector jobs in Ontario. And that's what this is about for me. It's about fairness, but more so it's about economic growth, not using a dollar of government uh, resources. And that's the the spirit that we're trying to embrace through uh, the actions we're taking.
0: And again, Stephen, you know, I would agree with that, but again, there's a lot of people out there that are worried that we're going to get our our arse sued off on this. Are you concerned with that at all, or are you concerned that, uh, like, you know, and again, I I don't know the backroom dealings here, but as I said in the preamble, if I'm the beer store, I I see where this is going, and whether you want to hold on to a 10-year deal uh, and sue for it or renegotiate something in the future, uh, you know... Because again, you're not eliminating the beer store; you're just saying we want more outlets. So, is this going to be a lockdown, drag-out fight between you and the beer store, or is this just going to end up in a negotiation uh, where it, it's 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 a better deal than the one the last government gave us? Or are we going to see uh, are we going to see knockdown, drag-out? We're going to court in this.
3: Look, I think there's nowhere else in the in the world that a government gives the biggest the beer companies special privileges at the expense of consumers and the rest of the industry the big three global beer giants are for profit they're not for the people they're not here concerned about consumers i'm a public legislator today's the one-year anniversary of our election we came in saying we're going to focus on the economy we created we created conditions for 190,000 jobs more jobs created in ontario than any province in the we lead the nation in job growth we lead the nation in economic growth it's not a coincidence it's because of our pro-growth policies. It's because we've lowered taxes, cut red tape. We've attracted skilled labor to the province. And we're putting money back in the pockets of consumers and families. That is the economic plan. And this is consistent with that plan. We're encouraging investment in Ontario. But yes, we're going to stand up for consumers and for taxpayers every step of the way. Because if we see deals that are in the public interest, are you asking us to ignore them? Are you asking us to defend the status quo? And I'm not suggesting you are, but no, some no, no. suggest... Oh, geez. Just no, I, like, seven years. again, uh, they unt- haven't
0: met Doug Ford. Ontarians have been asking. going to sit on the sideline. Yeah, and Ontarians have been asking this for a very long time. So again, you're getting no argument with me. I think the concern is no, sure. is that where it'll end up and will it end up costing us money? But again, um, what what do you want out of the beer store on all of this? Where do you see the beer store in this model?
3: Well, we want competition. I mean, the beer store will exist. Uh, We just want private options to exist. We want people to have more convenience and choice. I mean, it is this unusual system of the medieval times where one entity monopolized by the biggest three companies in the world, multinationals, own our beer store. It just doesn't make sense. It's a common sense reform. It is, I think, something that should bring people together in this political spectrum. Now, this isn't a top singular priority of the government it just happens to be the thing in the news for us the, the focus is jobs growth and protecting social services that's what we're doing through enhancements in the budget through our for, for to, to, to combat frontline uh, to invest in frontline health care or reduce tuition rates but the bottom line is we are doing this because it's not in the public interest the current program signed by the liberals and look if you're a special interest and a big lobbyist you made a fortune off this deal. Mm. But I'm sorry, Scott, I can't sit idle when I know in my conscience that we are just burning opportunity. And so we've got to stand up sometimes, and we've got to do the right thing, notwithstanding others may, you know, um, question it. I think the overwhelming amount of people listening are saying, why hasn't this been done a decade or two ago? Why are multinationals controlling our profits, our jobs, our beer store? It just doesn't make sense. It actually... When I learned more about this special agreement, it enrages me as a new legislator, because we don't have money in the province. We have sweetheart deals being signed by special liberal interests under Kathleen Wynne, and there are people struggling. We have the lowest income growth in the nation. That's what we inherited. And people see their income stagnate, and yet they see you know, these beer companies or any company— uh, getting special treatment by the government. It's not right. And I'm not, I'm, of course, I'm a, I'm a free market conservative. I'm a capitalist. I believe in the, on the market. But it's not at the expense of everyday families. That's the difference here. And that's what we're standing up against. And for liberals who defended the deal, of course they would defend the deal because they got us into this arrangement that gave an absolute monopoly to three people, three companies.
0: Are you surprised so, you know,
3: that are, I think it shows how out of touch they are, to be frank with you, Scott?
0: Are you surprised that uh, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and then the U.S. the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, again, who are supporters of your government, are all pro-business, are you know are, are all for that, but are concerned about the contractual issues?
3: Well, I mean, look, I mean, we've been, I think, fairly consistent. Uh, we want the chamber to join us. Uh, in supporting our reforms to introduce competition in a sector that has not seen it for years. And so we think our plan is good for both Ontario, for the consumer, and for business. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, all chambers, I think, would be encouraged by our government's tax reforms. They'd be encouraged by our red tape reduction. They'd be encouraged by our action to to, to support export markets and trade diversification. We're doing all the things that our small business and business community want that they can compete. We're opposing Justin Trudeau's carbon tax that puts a disproportionate disadvantage on our industry and our workers. We're doing that. That's consistent with what the U.S. and Canadian Chambers have asked us, and we are asking them to join us to support access and choice and fairness for consumers. That, I think, is something that everyone would benefit from, other than perhaps, you know, three multinationals. But... Uh, You know, we think this is congruent with with fairness, and we think this is consistent with the campaign commitment we made, and we're getting it done.
0: So what is happening now in response to negotiation with the beer store and and the government? Is there ongoing negotiations going on with the beer store and the government uh, where eventually a deal or a new deal will be hammered out? Or are you just tearing this up and saying, here's how it's going to be, and you're in or you're out?
3: I think the, the the point of the legislation is to enable uh, competition, to enable new entrants in the sector. The Minister of Finance, the Ministry of Finance, is still speaking with uh, the, the the beer store authorities, as I understand, and I think they're working in good faith to ensure that that beer store exists. We just simply want to augment, to add uh, additional options, so that if you want to grab a six pack, which, by the way, six packs and twelve, pa- or pardon me, twelve packs. Uh, and, and six packs are monopolized by the big three. You can only buy their uh, six packs.
0: I know. Packs don't even get me sta- Don't even store. get me started on that, Steve. And I hate it when I. Know, I you know, I think the most interesting thing. I remember going to the liquor store, and I'm and I'm there to buy uh, a bottle of wine or something. It's like, well, there's beer there, so I'm going to buy it there because it's. I don't have to make two stops. And then I asked for uh, I asked for twenty four cans, and they unwrapped it for me. Because I couldn't carry it yeah, out okay. in a case, and then I took it to the counter okay. and watched the guy tape it back up again. It's like, what the hell is okay. this?
3: It's okay, just well, this is called uh, this is the medieval times, <laughs> exactly. you know, stupidity on steroids. I don't know what to tell you, man. I just I know, I know. All sense. right, so it let's talk about. Sense. It suffice, yeah. I,
0: I hear you, man. Uh, so it uh, our economic interests. I, I know, I know. It just makes absolutely no sense to me as a consumer. But anyway, um, uh, so tell us what you have announced and, and what Fide- uh, Vic Fideli has just announced with uh, 87 more stores, what have you. Uh, let's talk about that.
3: Yeah, so we're expanding essentially more access for a wine uh, and beer within, uh, within um, you know, more grocery stores, the province of Ontario. We think that is very much a positive news story. I mean, for example... Uh, there's going to be, as I mentioned, you mentioned 87 more grocery stores across the province, which will sell wine and beer and cider, and there'll be more in a position to sell starting in September. Now, at the same time, I just want to be clear: the LCBO is expanding its convenience outlets to approximately 200 more locations, uh, 60 more expected to open by August. So, so
0: look. So those are the uh, those are the remote stores, right? Those are those the agency stores.
3: stores. So Those effectively. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a balance of ensuring that in rural Ontario and for those that live there, and certainly for those that um, you know may go there for for you know summer holiday or cottaging, that they have more choices. Because as you know, in small towns, it's really a tough time. Sometimes you have got to drive 30, 40 kilometers and really out of the way. And again, this defies common sense. Why not have an option, more options in communities for responsible, law-abiding Canadians? So that's what we're doing by introducing more of those sort of remote stores. And there's going to be 87 more grocery stores opening across the province by September that will start to sell alcohol responsibly to adults. And, I mean, you all see them in in your grocery stores, or many of you do, and it works. It's civil, it's responsible, and it's convenient. It's convenient. Why must we make life so inconvenient for people who have no time? Families are busy. Like, could government get off our backs and on our sides when it comes to both the economic interests of our pocketbooks, but also just, you know, improving the quality of our life? You want to grab a beer, you want to grab a glass, a bottle of wine after work to have it with your, at your table with your family? That shouldn't be criminalized. Let people do it. Give them a bit more choice. Give them a few more hours in the day to buy it. We don't all work nine to five. We have to respect the diversity of employment in the province. Some people work night shifts, et cetera. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make the system work for people. Not people work for the system.
0: Stephen Lecce has been with us, parliamentary assistant and MPP for King Vaughn, talking about the Ford government announcing expansion to alcohol sales uh, in Ontario. Stephen, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, awesome. Thanks you. Cheers. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, former, you know, lots of chatter about China again. Um, for the for the longest time, we were sort of in a holding pattern, and we're just sort of waiting. I don't know what we're doing. We're just kind of waiting for for something to happen. Not much we can do. Squeeze between these two giant superpowers. Uh, and now all of a sudden there's chatter that the Prime Minister uh, wants to chat with China and, and and there's this sort of discussion going on now. And all of a sudden now we're reading headlines that uh, uh, Prime Minister Mulroney, I, l- I like the way that, you know, after it's over and, you know, you've done your time, you come in and you help the others, whether they're on your side or not, whether they're your political stripe or not. I think that's great. And I think Canadians love that. So obviously Mulroney uh, helping out with NAFTA 2.0, uh, has now suggested that you know what you got to get a handle on this thing with China, and what you should be doing is sending Jean-Cretchan down there. Well, where does that leave us? Let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman Summa Strategies. He's advised National Party leaders and Cabinet ministers and such, and he is with us now. Tim, thanks for the time, much appreciated.
4: No problem, Scott. I like this too. I I think it's a it's a good initiative.
0: I think Canadians like it when their politicians, even of either stripe, even if they disagree, they like it when they get along, because at least you get the feel like you're getting a balance of power, and and, and at least both sides are listening to each other. And I got to
4: tell you, this is funny. I woke up and saw this this morning. I was at a dinner here in, in Ottawa last night with uh, uh, someone who knows both uh Mr. Cretcham and Mr. Mulrooney and uh I don't know whether it was deliberate or not, but that person was making the point that uh they'd like to see and that there's been a bit of a groundswell of from people he knows to see Mr. Cretchan and Mr. Mulrooney who didn't have the best of relationships don't really speak that much uh doing more together because uh, of the way they're now viewed and uh, given that times are a bit tenuous uh in the world that some of the experience that they have being put to use will be a good thing for canada so then to see this headline this morning uh that uh, mr mulroney uh encouraging the government to look at mr chretchen as potential emissary for canada to china along with uh the, the demaray family and of course mr chretchen's daughter is married to one of the Desmarais. Uh, would be a useful tag team. And I, I, as I said a moment ago, I think he's right on on that. Mr. Crutch has a long history with China, as do the Damaris. Uh I think uh delegation of, of that kind uh, would send a signal to the Chinese that the Canadians are serious about trying to find uh, some uh, solution here, while at the same time also signifying... Uh, the import that's put to it, but without you know caving to the Chinese at all,
0: uh, sounds like a great idea. Why would they? Why does it take a conservative to bring two liberals together like this? Why? Why is this not something that was thought well, of? Well, might it all be a bit of a
4: setup, right? Uh, Mister yeah. mm-hmm. uh has has done some advising of of, of Justin Trudeau before mm-hmm. around free trade. They uh, their sons, as you know, Ben uh, was uh, Ben Mulroney, uh also a broadcaster, and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Justin became quite good friends. Mr. O'Reilly got to know Justin when he was Justin before he became prime minister. So there's there's been a relationship there over the years. Um, the current prime minister ha asked Mr. Mulroney for some advice on, on NAFTA, uh, be, uh, now USMCA, because he knows Mr. Trump and, and knows a lot of the players in the Trump administration. So, you know, I, I wouldn't rule out the fact that uh, this might be Mr. Mulroney, because he's a wise strategist uh, uh, working in coordination with somebody else. And if Justin Trudeau has Brian Mulroney saying this is a good idea— it would now be very hard for Andrew Shear and other conservatives to come out and say, oh, yeah, we're against this if Justin Trudeau does go down this path. So, Scott, we could be part of an elaborate drama. I don't know.
0: So what, explain that more. What, what's the advantage to the, Prime Min, uh, the former Prime Minister uh, Mulroney doing this? Like, how does that affect the conservative party? How does that affect Andrew Shear?
4: Uh, Well, it doesn't hurt Andrew Shearer, And I I think Mr. Mulroney's in a a stage in his life where, you know, there are things that are more important than just partisan politics. Um, Certainly in the case of NAFTA, that was his baby, right? Um, He wanted to make sure that got to fruition. And I think it's very hard to argue that NAFTA... Uh, has there been anything, uh, hard to argue against NAFTA? It's, it's been nothing but good for Canada by and large. Uh, so he wanted that to go through with USMCA. And I think Mr. Moroney, uh, like Mr. Kratchen, who does a lot of global work, knows the importance of China, uh, just from a both a strategic perspective and from an economic perspective. So I think he's got a longer term, uh, mission here and is trying to say to people, let's get out of the uh, yeah. partisan uh, swamp if we can here, because the Canadian economy uh, will improve if it can find some way to coexist uh, with the Chinese. And you, you well know you covered on your program the challenges people in the fork industry are having right now uh, because of the screws the chinese are putting into that industry
0: so why is this happening now the prime minister ha- ha said the other day that he was uh, there was uh, rumors floating around that he was going to try to talk to china why is this all happening now why at this phase
4: um I, it, well i think there's a concern that this could spread right uh because it's spread so it's just uh, getting and, out of hand yeah uh i think there was some sense earlier this week that the Chinese are spreading their uh, frustration with Canada to other industries now, and it, it, this could move beyond pork and it could have broader economic impact. So I think Mulroney is probably hearing that too in the business circles he's involved with, and this is a you know he's again if it isn't a setup, he's presenting the Prime Minister with a uh, an approach that most Canadians would uh, would would find uh, I think effective.
0: Uh, Can this unite us? Uh, You know, politics, everything. It seems so it it seems so divisive nowadays. Here we have uh, for the national interest uh, parties working together like this, you know, even though they're retired and and have had their day. uh, Does this does this bring us closer together? Does this does this signal a change in any way?
4: Well, I don't know if we'll be giving each other Hallmark. Uh, yeah, guys, as, as I as I
0: said that, I realized what a pile of bullet all is that I'm trying to say. God, here.
4: I mean, I, I, I had a tear in my eye welling up. There. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to get on the Queensway here and get down uh, <laughs> oh, to and hug you and Hamilton. But uh, your optimism and my sarcasm aside, I'm—I don't know whether it unites us or not, but it—it's it, just refreshing uh, to see again. You know, longtime political enemies like Mister. and Mister. Mulroney saying, hey, you know, you get to a certain point in your life and some things may be more important, uh, including making sure we have a, a relationship with China that is uh, firm when it needs to be, but also economically advantageous.
0: So how does how does uh, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien feel about this? Is he, is he assembling the old Team Canada?
4: I don't know uh, if he's doing that. I mean, I know Mr. Chrétien spends a lot of time in China anyway. Uh, I'm sure... Uh, if he were called upon he would uh, he would serve i uh, see actually saw him when i was out for a run the other day walking around here in ottawa he's
0: a pretty vigorous healthy guy so uh if he were asked i'm sure he would serve any chance of bringing john McCallum back
4: <laughs> <laughs> sorry did i laugh out loud well but... it's your turn now yeah no scott no that's not gonna happen
0: Uh, He was very well connected, but just too bad optics in the sense that, you know, that's one of the speed bumps that got us to where we are?
4: Yeah, I mean, Mr. McCallum made a a fairly serious blunder, right? And I I don't think uh, the the, the government wouldn't have anybody really advocating that that's the way to go right now, and it would make them look like It would be a limiting exercise because how could they argue we have lots of talented people and they go back to John McCallum, right? As a man who arguably couldn't get the job done.
0: So what could uh, Jean Chrétien do? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the Huawei CFO is still being detained in her million dollar mansion waiting for extradition. And at the end of the day, will anything solve this other than a change in that position. Uh, what can Jean Chrétien do over and above releasing? Uh, well, I
4: guess he can do what isn't being done now. Or, or, well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. We don't know if it's being done now. At least he has the uh, ability to get to the top Chinese leadership. And as Mr. Mulroney had a skill set, Mr. Chrétien does as well, to talk about, all right, we appreciate that this is, for the Chinese, there's a irritant. Hier- but surely there must be other areas where uh, some sort of uh, solution can be found. So I think Khrushchev would have the ability to broker a more creative solution that perhaps uh, a regular, not to be dismissive, foreign service officer or anybody else uh, and and would have the respect of the Chinese. At a minimum, it, it sends a message to the Chinese that Canada uh, is taking this seriously and uh, I think the Chinese uh look at history and they look at people like Mr. Kretchen and they look and recognize he's always tried to forge useful relations mm-hmm. with China so you know they're they're long-term thinkers as well too so maybe there isn't a resolution on Huawei but maybe there's something else that is less Contagious and doesn't put uh, contentious. Excuse me. That, and well.
0: that was my next question: Was how will China view this? Will they see this as an olive branch, or will they say, "Oh, look what they're trying to do"? I just have this. I just have this picture in my mind of of you know the prime minister standing there, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he 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 pulls out Jean-Claude and says, "Hey, remember this guy? You liked him. Remember him?" And you know, again, well, I,
2: I think how would they see it?
4: I think they would see it as a serious symbol that. Uh, A former prime minister is brought on by a current prime minister to do this. I I think they would see that as a serious sign of of action.
0: So, um, will would a a Jean-Cretchan just try to move the discussion away from uh, the detainment, the extradition trial, and say, "No, I don't think so," and and look about all this other stuff we have?
4: I, 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 I think he would. Again, you know, I, I I don't know what the the strategy would be, but I imagine he would, sit, he would would not solely focus on that. But I mean, that would be why he, in part, is taking on the role to get these Canadians uh, released uh, or put in a Canadian correctional system, if that's where they should be. Though there's no sense that that's the case at the moment.
0: Uh and what about the prime minister reaching out to the Chinese? Uh, this all coordinated to be happening at the same time, obviously.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the Chinese uh, are very uh, keen to follow, you know, diplomatic protocols, both in the front room and the back room. He may, in fact, be reaching out to the Chinese in the back room. We we don't know. So uh, I, I think there would be more than simply the one effort of it being Mr. Kretchen or whomever going over there.
0: All right. uh, I I can't let you go, Tim, without asking you your thoughts on the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls uh, report that came out earlier in the week and and how this has been, uh, what the response has been to it. Uh, Many of this sort of thing in the past, certainly not to the detail and extent that this one is. How do you take this and do something and, and make it different from what we've done in the past?
4: yeah and there I mean this is different as you as you pointed out, because it's very specific to the subject matter, and it was certainly something this Prime Minister promised and, and many uh indigenous leaders looked for uh i i it can't become if it really is going to be a blueprint for action a document to to help uncover the mystery of of what happened to so many of these women. Uh, And and the public policy or the cultural circumstances, societal circumstances that have have led to to this happening, all that needs to be addressed. I don't think that's solely a government action. In fact, I've heard many talk about how indigenous leaders themselves need to continue to to push change within their own community. I think all of that's true. So, you know, it it all sounds good and well intended, uh, like anything of this breadth and depth. It's how it's eventually implemented. I, I had trouble, uh, and I'm sure you've talked about this in your program, uh, the use of the word genocide. I agree with Erwin Kotler, the former Liberal Justice Minister, and Romeo Delira, the former senator uh, who has seen genocide in Rwanda, that that was not the
0: right description. Uh, Does there uh, have to be intent for genocide? Not that I yeah, want to you, debate genocide, yeah, but yeah. like that's to me where I had issue was the, you know, this was a long, slow sort of thing burn almost. Um,
4: yeah, I, I think you could argue there's some degree of intent yeah. that, that would would be at play. Um, not that there wasn't intent in the yeah. uh, mistreatment and murder of uh, of all of the all of the women in particular, and, uh, and all the individuals caught up in uh, this royal commission. But I think. Genocide, as Zerwin Kotler described, it may have been used uh, by uh, the commissioners to spark uh, more uh, debate more interest, and yeah. discussion, yeah. Uh, whether it actually was a genocide yeah. or not. I'm, I'm with Kotler, and and uh, delay and on that, I'm not sure that's the right word.
0: Was this investigation about um, the fact that these cases were not investigated properly, or was this about finding the people... Uh, uh, who victimized all of it. these, I who killed God,
4: them. I think it was a bit of everything. Yeah. I think uh, the commission wanted to, and that's why they, that there was such a push by Indigenous leadership to look at where all the areas where things went wrong and could be improved and to highlight some of the systemic and I think this word is entirely appropriate to use systemic discrimination uh, that, that does exist. I, think it's, I, yeah. I used to work at Indigenous Affairs, and uh, uh, it's hard to argue that, you know, some yeah. of the systems we uh, have inherited and, and still use uh, aren't or weren't uh, discriminatory to, to Indigenous people.
0: Uh, as you mentioned, the use of that term genocide certainly got everybody's attention. Does this bring Canadians to a different place? Are we different now? Only if we act on the things that
4: are here, right? Again, if it's just we're fighting, you know, we can have debates about the language, but are we actually going to do something?
0: I guess my point that I'm making is there's no confusion now. Here's what happened. There shouldn't be any confusion. But, I mean, we have,
4: you know, seen people who just dispute uh, the version of history that at least is portrayed now through this this uh, Royal Commission and, and through other Royal Commissions, you're always going to have uh, people who don't believe what, uh, what, what the facts may bear out because they have a different version of facts or live in an alternative universe. But it, it's hard to dispute that we, you know, to put it very simply, uh, were, uh, not, did not treat uh, Indigenous Canadians well, uh, and there are still lots of improvement that is required.
0: Uh, what about the Prime Minister's handling of all of this? We remember when the Truth and Reconciliation Report came out, it was, he, was, he was very strong about it. He was going to implement all 98 recommendations. He seemed a bit more reserved on this one.
4: Well, I think he's come to learn. And Look, look I, I think his heart is in the right place here. I think it's hard to dispute yeah. that. Uh, I think, so. he's recognizing, again, using that word system, uh, there's so much to be done. You're not going to get it all done in four years, and you have to manage your language because you, uh, well, he may might like to push the accelerator, and he's not alone in that. It's going to take years of concentrated effort to fix mm. uh, and address a lot of the matters that that have that have come up. You know, I, I think he's got to watch being the, the the nation's chief apologist too. Uh, I think that it served yeah. him well, but you, you hear even people in his own party saying he looks for reasons to apologize sometimes and, and in, in the case of him eventually using the word genocide I, I think that was more being politically opportune maybe he does actually believe it was a genocide but I'm not sure moving forward is simply always about apologizing and that's important to be sure but uh, uh, you you also need to Show a resolve, in, in, in bringing forward policy issues that uh, make a real difference.
0: What about? And we saw him yesterday, or the other day, speaking out on this. And what about the tears? Am I am I stupid to even bring this up? Am I you know? Don't be such a jerk. The guys have you know. He's emotional about this, and we all are. I mean, you know, I'll cry at the drop of a hat. But then there's certain positions, certain things that you, you know, positions, scenarios you're in where you you you're trying to keep it in control what are your thoughts you're a a strategist
4: i I believe the prime minister is genuinely empathetic um but i do believe he's got to be sometimes a bit more self-aware yeah uh and by that i mean uh I, i i think he also has to recognize that as a leader there are moments when he must himself uh and and show uh the emotions that he may legitimately feeling there but he gets dinged too much for because people will describe him as performing uh maybe mm-hmm. he's not performing but whether he is or he isn't he's got to lear- learn to listen to a little bit of that criticism because if you're constantly performing Uh, and uh, then then that can take away from the credibility that a genuine moment may may allow you to have.
0: Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies. Tim, uh, always fascinating uh, chatting with you. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
4: Have a good weekend, Scott. Thank you.
0: You too.